if you got your Bibles with you, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first seven verses. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let me pray for us. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and it's a light unto our path. So I pray this morning that you would teach us, you would convict us, that you would encourage us that you would strengthen us by this word. Would you open up our hearts to receive it? Would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you know me, you know I'm a massive sports fan, as many of y'all have commented on Florida versus Samford yesterday, so I know some of y'all know that. Uh, but I love everything with a ball and a scoreboard, and I especially love the tradition of sports. Uh, and one of these traditions that I'm fascinated by is the Olympic torch relay. And if you aren't necessarily a sports person, uh, the torch relay is a ceremonial run from Athens where the Olympic Games began carrying a torch uh, around the host nation of the Olympics, and it ends in the host city on the night of the opening ceremony. And so they carry around this flame, and on the final night, the flame is then dipped into the cauldron to light the Olympic torch or the Olympic flame for the remainder of the games. And it's one of those unique events in all of sports where onlookers and the media and the fans, they are constantly wondering and they are asking, who is gonna light the flame on the final night? Who, after month-long relay and run, who is gonna get the big honor at the end, the glory of finishing the relay? When you think about it, it's honestly kind of sad. Because while we celebrate and we anticipate and we wait with bated breath for who's going to finish the relay, we rarely ever hear about the people who ran up until that point. See, some of y'all in this room probably know who lit the Olympic torch uh, in Tokyo, and that was Naomi Osaka, who was a prominent women's tennis player. But I guarantee you can't name probably anyone else who ran in that relay. In fact, in the 2020 Olympic Games, I looked it up, there were over 10,000 people who ran in the Olympic torch relay. So you may know who finished, but there were 9,999 other people who contributed along the way. And I tell us all that because I think that that's a similar rut that we can fall into when we think about our faith and what it means to pass our faith on. See, we often hear from the pulpit about the beginning. We hear about the apostles, the ones who heard from Jesus' mouth the gospel and went and spread it, and they were the kindling to the fire that set blaze to the church. And we also hear about the end. We hear about when Jesus is going to come back and restore and renew all things. But we rarely ever hear about the middle. 
What about us in November of 2021 here in Thomasville, Georgia? What did it look like to pass the faith on from the beginning to the end in the meanwhile? Because in the grand scope of God's story that he's been writing throughout all history, it seems like we play a rather insignificant role. See, we're just one church among millions, and the circle of influence that we actually have is quite small. But as scripture puts it, we are carrying the faith that was delivered to the saints. See, we are those in 2021 here in Thomasville, Georgia. We are part of those who are carrying forth the promise that began in the Garden of Eden and will culminate in Christ's return. See, all of us, we're stewards of the gospel. The gospel that was preached long before us and it will be preached long after us. We are just one link in the chain. So as we approach our text this morning, Paul is in the process of passing the baton. He's raising up Timothy, who's going to be a minister of the gospel long after Paul is dead. See, Timothy is going to continue where Paul left off. And what we see in our text is what it looks like to pass the faith on, to pass the gospel on. And this passage helps us consider what it looks like to pass on the gospel to the next generation. Because here's the reality. We might just be torchbearer number 6,200 in a relay of 10,000 generations. See, we might play a very small part when it comes to the fullness of history. Yet in scripture, we are still vital to God's story of redemption. We are the ones who commend God's works to the next generation. We steward the gospel in our time and place, and then we pass it on. So what wisdom can we take from Paul's transfer to Timothy for how we might steward the gospel now in our church, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our vocations? So let's turn to the text this morning and see what Paul outlines for us. What wisdom do we have on how to steward the gospel well? Uh, and the first thing that Paul commends to us is longing relationship. Longing relationship. And the first thing we notice is that Paul's desire to pass the baton to Timothy is marked by his longing and desire to see and be with Timothy. Verse 2, it says, Timothy, my beloved child. Verse 3, I remember you constantly in my prayers. Verse 4, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. You see, the foundation of everything that Paul says here it comes from a place of love, of desire to be with Timothy and for him to know the truths of the gospel. And that's what Paul says right away in the beginning of this letter, in the introduction. He says, I'm an apostle. I'm called by God to preach the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. I have been the herald. I have been the steward of the gospel. And Timothy, now I love you. And I want you to know this as well. So for Paul, the passing of the baton begins with an intentional, specific love for Timothy. And the result of that love, what happens as a result of that love is that Paul moves towards Timothy. We first meet Timothy, the character, in Acts 16, when Paul invites Timothy to join him on his missionary journey. See, scripture isn't really specific about the story, but it highlights that Paul wanted Timothy. See, it wasn't Timothy trying to get in with Paul, trying to tag along. 
And it certainly wasn't Paul's expectation that his disciples were just going to come to him. See, rather, Paul chooses Timothy for ministry with him. And so, in a sense, Paul pursues Timothy first. And as we consider stewarding the gospel, what that means, that's a really important concept to grasp and live out. See, the way we commend God's works to the next generation, the way we begin to pass on the truths of the gospel to our family, our coworkers, and the future members of this church begins with us longing for relationship with them. It begins with a desire to be with them, to know them, a hunger for them to know the truths that we ourselves know. See, as Paul pursued Timothy for deep relationship and discipleship, so we pursue others. And yet the pattern that we often fall into is it's, we live like it's the exact other way around. We think about our ministry to the next generation as, well, we have the gospel. We have the words that they need to hear. So they need to come to us so that we can tell them. And this has been the operating principle of churches, honestly, for years, this attractional model of church. Let's have as many programs and things going on so that people come to us because we have the gospel and we just need to bring them to us. Yet Paul's vision for ministry was that he longed for Timothy. He pursued Timothy. He went out and while in the midst of his missionary journey, he found Timothy and he invited him in to his life to see to watch, and to learn alongside him. And friends, that's the pattern of Jesus and every apostle. See, think about it this way. The power of the gospel, the power of the gospel is that it is something done before you ever came to know or receive it. It was something done before you ever came to know or receive it. See, Jesus became man and he died for your sins before you ever professed faith in him. In a way, Jesus made the first move. He pursued you. And the reality is that this morning you are loved and you did nothing to deserve it. And not only that, but you've done nothing since to deserve it. And yet Jesus longs for you this morning. See, the glory of God was made most manifest as he moves into our lives with his declaration of forgiveness and hope. He pursues you this morning. And yet, we live in a world where people feel like they almost need to clean up their act. They need to be something. They need to be better before they can feel like they can walk into this church or walk into any church, right? They need to be something before they can come around. And so as stewards of this gospel, a gospel of radical love for the lost and the broken, for sinners and sufferers like all of us, we ought to begin by longing for those whom we want to know this truth. We ought to move in their direction, not just passively waiting for them to come to us. So what does this look like practically? Well, I think first things first, prayer. Prayer. See, when we pray for things, God increases our longing for them. An example is when I was in Orlando back in April, May, when I was thinking about coming up here to Thomasville, and I began praying for the students by name in our small groups before I was even up here. And the beautiful thing about it is as I prayed, God used it to grow my love and my heart for the students, and I hadn't even met them yet. 
So God uses prayer to form our hearts to love what he loves. So my question for you this morning is, who can you be praying for? Who, who is the person, who are the people that God can be using prayer to deepen your longings, deepen your affections for? That's point number one. But second, that means we ought to also be specific. We ought to also be specific. See, we talk about we want the gospel to be commended to the next generation, but you can define that very vaguely. Generation, church, Thomasville, or you can be very direct and be very specific about it. See, one of the ways we steward well is by being specific about who our ministry is for, who we long for. See, Paul's mission, and he'll say this again in scripture, Paul's mission was to evangelize the Gentiles. That was Paul's mission. But what we see here in 2 Timothy is a specific love, a specific desire for Timothy. He wanted Timothy to know and be strengthened by the gospel. Because when Timothy is edified, the goal is one step closer. See, often in Paul's letters, if you read them, he mentions and he notes specific people. See, Paul had a big goal but he longed for small targets. Big goal, but he longed for small targets. And so as you consider how to steward the gospel, how you're called to be stewarding the gospel, I'd encourage you to be specific. Is it your kids right now who are your ministry? Is it certain coworkers? Is it certain neighbors? Is it your extended family? See, specificity gives us direction. So as we pray and as we get specific, what happens? Our longing begins to grow. We see opportunities for conversations and places to step into the lives of others that aren't simply just surface level. And as a result, relationships begin to deepen. And as a result of all of that, what happens? The gospel is slowly passed from one generation to another. So number one, longing relationships. But the second bit of wisdom that Paul gives us is remembering and rehearsing the gospel. Remembering and rehearsing. And when we look at it, it shows up again and again and again. It's this idea of remember. Remember. Paul says he remembers Timothy in prayer. He remembers his tears. He is reminded of Timothy's faithful family of Lois and Eunice. And Paul even remembers his own answers and ancestors here. Wow, English is hard. As he's talking about how he serves God. See, in all of this, remembering is a huge concept. Because when we consistently remember God's works, when we consistently remember God's works and his faithful, better place to pass it on. When we remember God's works, we are in a better place to pass it on. Look specifically at verse 5. Paul mentions that Timothy has a sincere faith, but notice Paul wasn't the one who gave it to him. Paul wasn't the one who originally shared the gospel with Timothy. Rather, it was a family affair. Lois, the grandmother, had a sincere faith, who then passed it down to Eunice, Timothy's mom. And now it comes to rest in Timothy. See, Timothy's faith started with the sincere faith of his family. 
So as Paul gives thanks for Timothy's life, as he remembers God's faithfulness, as, as he remembers Timothy, he also remembers how Timothy was blessed with the story of a family that knew the Lord and raised him up in the way that he should go. And so remembering Timothy's story helps make the gospel proclamation stronger. Remembering Timothy's story makes the gospel proclamation stronger. And this isn't just something that's unique to Paul and Timothy, but this is used over and over and over again in Scripture. This is the call of God to his people. As stewards of the gospel, as stewards of the good news, we are called to remember. We're called to remember God's faithfulness in our life, how he has provided for us, how he sought us and showed us his steadfast love. An example is if you go read the book of Psalms, right? Remembrance is all over the book of Psalms, right? When you see thankfulness, right? What are we doing? We're remembering what God has done and who he is. Because God has been faithful before, we can trust that he'll be faithful in the future. And yet, this is really important, because I think this is where we can sometimes derail. Remembering is not just something you do, but it's something we all do together. Remembering is not just something you do, but it's something we all do together. In Deuteronomy 6, the passage that Sloan read, God commands Israel to tell the future generations about God's works as if it was their story, as if it was their story. And the reason I say that is because in that time, most of the people who experienced the events of the Exodus were dead. They weren't alive to, to tell that story from the first person, yet they're told to tell it as it, when we put the lamb's blood on the doorpost, when we fled Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. See, they hadn't lived through these events themselves, and yet they were called to tell the story to their children as if though they had. And the reason was because God wanted them not only to remember his faithfulness, but he also wanted them to rehearse God's love and mercy out loud. He wanted them to tell the story as if it was their own because it was their own. See, they were part of the family of God. And the acts of God in the past, the present, and the future were theirs by faith. And in the same way, when we profess the gospel, we profess a gospel that was before us, that is ours now, and will be forevermore, and it will long outlive us. And the way we do so is when we remember God's works in the past, we rehearse it for ourselves now and the generations that will follow us. To illustrate this, uh, to make it a little bit more clear, when I was in college, uh, I joined a Christian fraternity. And yes, it was Christian, and yes, it was a fraternity. Those things actually do exist. And one of the things that I had to do when I pledged the fraternity is I had to do brother interviews, which means I had to go to a set number of brothers each week, and I had to give my faith story, and I had to listen to theirs. Now, this wasn't just a 15-minute interview thing but I had to give at least 45 minutes to an hour, at least six to eight times a week. Now, I hated it in the moment. I'll be completely honest with you all. But I look back on it in awe. Because here we were, not only remembering God's faithfulness in the past and in our lives, but we were rehearsing the goodness of God. See, I was seeing how God had been faithful to people I had just met 
how he had rescued some of them from the pit of despair and sin. And I heard stories of miracles that could only come from the hand of God. And what I found over the course of that semester is that I knew my own story. I knew God's work in my life better and better and better. And I could tell it more confidently because why? I had to tell it over and over and over again. You see, as stewards of the gospel, we are also stewards of a story. See, God has been faithful to each of you. He has preserved you. He has defended you. He has blessed you. And when we tell our stories, what happens? We commend God to all those who hear us. See, God uses our own stories to inspire, to grow the love, and to aid in the passing of the faith one generation to another. I think about Acts 26, the story when Paul is on trial before he's about to die, and he's before King Agrippa, and he has a sentence of death hanging over his head, and when he's asked to give a defense, he doesn't give some theological oration talking about doctrine or theology. He tells his story. See, he tells of the way that Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He tells of the grace that was shown to a sinner like him. He tells of his heart for all those to know the same truth. This great line when Agrippa asks, well, Paul, in short time, would you persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul answers, whether short or long, I would tell God that not only you, but all redeeming work. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a an old pastor, and he said, we ought to gossip the gospel. It ought to be on our tongues all the time. It ought to be freely flowing. It shouldn't just be kept for the right moment, but it should honestly come out in times when it's not convenient for it to do so. And the beauty of this is that telling our stories does not require deep theological training. You don't need to go to seminary like Tim and I did in order to tell your story. And so often when we think about telling our story, when we think about sharing, one of the biggest hesitancies is because we believe we don't know enough. We're not equipped enough. We aren't capable of sharing our faith because someone else might be able to do it better. And I think that's part of the reason why we value church staff, right? They're the ones who are trained. They're the ones who are equipped to share their faith. So I just need to bring them around and let them do the evangelizing part. However, your story is something that only you know. It's something you live and you experience. It's something that only you can tell. And not only that, but only you have a specific place where you can share it. Maybe it's the construction site. Maybe it's the law office. Maybe it's the hospital. Maybe it's your own home. See, you have a place where your story can be told that I couldn't necessarily walk into and share my story in the same way but your story will carry weight. So the encouragement for you this morning is that you would be willing not only to remember your story, but you would be willing to tell it. And it's intimidating at first, don't get me wrong, but as we rehearse it more and more, what happens? It becomes second nature and you begin to know yourself better and better and better. So if you have kids, 
begin by testifying to them what God has done for you. If you're in Sunday school or in a life group or on a committee with someone else, don't remain disconnected and vague. See, share your story. Testify to what God has done. You see, every opportunity is an opportunity to gossip the gospel. And when we think about stewardship, when we think about our stewardship campaign, isn't that what we're doing right now? See, we're telling the story of this church. We're celebrating and we're giving thanks so that the coming generations might know the works that God has brought about in and through us. See, remembering and rehearsing, it helps us commend the gospel to those who will come after us. Because the ways that God worked in and through us now will be the strength and the encouragement for the generations that will come after. I'll close with this story. Uh, One of the special gifts that my brother, my cousins, and I have had uh, in our lives was a Wednesday lunch that was shared with my grandfather. We called him Papa over the span of a decade. Uh, And it began when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, He would pick me up from school on early dismissal day, and we would go have lunch. Uh, And it later to include my brothers and my cousins as they got into high school. Uh, And I would go off to college. Uh, I went to the University of Florida, but the lunch continued. And I actually got to rejoin the lunch after I graduated from college and came back to work in Orlando. But for 10 years in a row, 10 years in a row, Papa always had someone at his table for lunch on Wednesday. And when I think back to the last seven years that this was a part of my life, nothing extraordinary ever happened at those lunches. See, we talk about our daily struggles, our joys, why the Orlando Magic are a terrible basketball program, and we talk trash about the Knolls and the Gators. But over the course of 10 years, we also heard stories of grace how God had been faithful when Papa himself was confused when he was trying to find his place in the world. We would remember and tell stories about the faithfulness of my grandmother who passed away not long after we had started these lunches. See, he encouraged me when I was underwater in school and in seminary and in work, and I was led into his life to see what broke his heart and to see how his faith touched every single point of his life. And pretty much every week he would say, Tyler, I'm praying for you weekly, and this is what time I prayed for you at. And you see, he didn't teach me a whole lot of knowledge about Scripture. In fact, he would oftentimes ask me the questions because I was the seminarian at the table. But over the course of a decade, what was he doing? He was slowly passing the baton to me. He was showing me Jesus, and by his life, he was charging me to do the same. And how did he do that? Through longing relationship and through remembering and rehearsing. He pursued me every single week, and all he did was just share God's faithfulness uh, in his life. And I stand here today, much of because of how he loved me, and he passed the gospel to me in those conversations. So friends, we are stewards of the glorious gospel of Jesus. It's our hope, it's our peace, but it's also our mission. So as we think about what it means to pass the baton, I pray that we would resort to these seemingly ordinary powerful means. Long for relationship. Pursue those with the love that Jesus pursued you with. And let your conversation be rich with remembering and rehearsing the glory and the grace of God. Let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful for what you've done in the past, the ways in which 
you worked through your son, Jesus, to ransom us from sin and death in the ways that you've worked in our lives. So, Father, I pray that as we think about what it means to pass the baton, Lord, I pray that we would follow this wisdom from Paul, that we would long for relationship with the next generation, and that our mouths would be filled with the stories of what you've been doing in our lives, that we would tell the story so that the coming generations might know your grace in a whole new way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.